therefore comfort one another with these words. So there's encouragement tonight in the word of the living God. We want to title our study as we examine this chapter, The Christian Walk. If you'll notice with me, the word walk is used in verse 1 as well as in verse 12. And we want to divide our study into four separate parts tonight. We want to see our walk in holiness. We want to see our walk in love. We want to see our walk in honesty as well as our walk in Christian hope. The Apostle Paul, in the first eight verses of this chapter, says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, there's our word again, beseech, beg, earnestly entreat, and exhort you, challenge us by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk, and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Now, when we think about the Christian walk, the first principle that the Apostle Paul has for us to consider tonight is the call to holiness. The call uh, is, is confused in our culture today because many are concerned about a call to happiness. But did you know that as we grow in holiness before the Lord, we also grow in happiness, not the other way around. So when we think about walking, just think about uh, what it um, implies. It implies a requirement to life. There has to be life before there can be walking. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, he said, um, Since or if you have been risen with the Lord, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of, of God. We are not called uh, to impart life because no preacher can give life. No church can give life. It's... It's something that God himself gives to his children. He gives us life through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we think about this, walk means or requires life. But it also requires growth. If you'll notice, that's the emphasis of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. As, as newborn babes uh, 
desire, earnestly desire the milk of the word. We, we desire milk to grow thereby. Without that milk, we can't grow. So when we think about walking tonight, we're talking about not only life, but also the growth that extends from that life. It's also, um, it's also a principle of liberty. As we find in the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. When we talk about walking, we're talking about liberty. It also demands light. No one can walk in the dark. If you walk in the dark, what's going to happen? Children, what's going to happen? If you walk in the dark, you're going to stumble. You can't see. So the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, As children of light, let us walk in the light as he is in the light. It also suggests progress. Now this is going to be a little bit uh, prickly here. Because many of us are not concerned about our progress in our walk. Now that's just the truth, and I'm sorry to say that, but I think we're all guilty of not having the intentionality that is necessary for us to progress in our Christian walk. I think we need to actually examine ourselves tonight. Am I today um, where I should be in my Christian walk? Or am I kind of in a trench or a, a rut somewhere, you know? Am I, I, I think this is what we should examine in our own life. Am I, am I desiring uh, more of God's Word today than I did last year at this time? Or is it something that I just kind of put up with? Is it something that I kind of endure? I think all of us need to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith and whether we are progressing in our Christian walk. I want to underscore this in the words of the Apostle Paul. What Paul is calling us to is a progressive form of sanctification. Now, we read that word, didn't we? Sanctification. This is the will of God concerning your sanctification. I know that that's a, a theological term, but it's, it's a word from which we get saints. Hagias. It's a, it's a word that means to be set apart from a common to a holy purpose. From a common to a holy purpose. Now, when we're talking about sanctification, we don't want to confuse the two different usages of that term in the New Testament. The first use of sanctification in the New Testament is called positional. Positional sanctification. That's who I am in Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, we rejoice, as Pastor Nathan said a moment ago, that we've been forgiven of our sins in Christ, that His shed blood upon the tree of the cross can never uh, be undone. It can never be changed or, or, or weakened or lessened. What Jesus Christ forgave Upon the tree of the cross was all the sins that we would ever commit in our lives. And not only ours, but the world of all the elect family of God. Every sin was, was put upon the body of Christ and we were sanctified in Him 
once and for all and forever. Hebrews chapter 10, 9 and 10. But what Paul is dealing with in this chapter, and this perhaps is why we don't hear this preached much. What Paul is dealing with here is the second application of that term in the New Testament, which is practical. Practical. The practical aspect of the sanctifying work of God in Christ upon the cross and how that principle is lived out in the life of the believer. The first call is a call to holiness. There should be a difference in the way that Christians live their lives and the way the world lives theirs. The use of the term Gentile here is in the broadest sense. It's talking about the pagan culture in which the church existed. Now we need to remember that Thessalonica was a Greek city and the Greeks actually worshipped the body. Did you know that? Well, of course you did. If you've seen any of the sculptures that's been preserved from ancient Greece, they're all naked. They worshipped the body. And the term that the Apostle Paul is using here for fornication is porneos, from which we get pornography. And there's nothing more destructive to the, the psyche of a man than pornography because it is a, a dangerous uh, form of uh, fulfillment of fleshly lust that does not and will never please God. So what Paul is calling us to is a walk that bears the image of Christ in a world that rejects Christ. He says, ye ought to walk, as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and how to please God so ye would abound more and more. Now, here's the progressive nature of the Christian walk. This is taking one step at a time. One step overcoming sin in our lives at a time. We can't overcome it all in one time. It's got to be line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, so that we come to a given goal or point in our Christian testimony. He says, I want you to grow more and more. It's not uh, that Paul was, uh, wasn't rejoicing that they understood the basics of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his imminent return. Uh, it, it, it was wonderful to the heart of the Apostle Paul that he could see that knowledge lived out in the lives of the Thessalonian church. But he says, I don't want you to stop there. I want you to build upon that foundation and uh, grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that, that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because we know, verse 2, that the commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. You know what he's doing there? He's defining the authority of the gospel. See, the gospel is not Paul's opinion. The gospel is not Brother Jeff's opinion. The word of God is God's word. He's, he, it is his inscripturated revelation to you and I tonight. So it's not our opinions we're interested in 
uh, or our personal uh, innuendos, but it is thus saith the Lord. That's what we're called to preach, and that's what we're called to believe, whether we agree with it or whether we understand it or not. This is what God said. This is God's will, that we live our lives different from the world around us. And when we fail to do that, as many of us do, we are given the grace of repentance and the grace of restoration. <laughs> Verse uh, 4, he says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. The word vessel there is body. He's referring to our vessel as a body. I, I, I think it's very appropriate, actually, to, to think about our body as a vessel on the sea. The, the, you see, uh, a vessel, uh, a, a seafaring vessel, is uh, motivated by the wind. That's why you see those pictures of the sails going up, and it's catching the wind and directing the course of the ship. But never forget the rudder. Never forget what actually guides that ship. You know what that rudder is, brothers and sisters, in our lives as Christian believers? It's the Word of God. God's Word guides our vessel. And when we're strong in the Word and obedient to the Word, our vessel is going to have a straight course. Very appropriate terminology here for the teaching on holiness. In verse 5, he says, not in the lust of concupiscence. Now, that's a hard word, I know. But it means the desires of the mind. It is, it is uh, uh, focusing upon the mind of an individual. See, whatever controls our mind will ultimately control our life. So the Bible speaks often to the mind. Preaching should be uh, to the mind of God's people because that's what will ultimately control their life. So Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you know it very well. He said, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God by the renewing of your minds. Not, not being trans, uh, conformed to the image of the world, but by the renewing of your minds, you might prove what is that acceptable, per, uh, perfect, acceptable, and good will of God. It is, it is the mind of God's people that we want to reach tonight. I want to reach your mind by the grace of God, with the word of God, so that the rudder of your life will be in the right direction. See how that ties together? Isn't that something? It's, it, it's like God wrote it. Not like the Gentiles or the pagans, as it were, which know not God. We could go, couldn't we, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 in that? They don't know God by nature. By nature, none of us knew God. Right? Can I get an amen on that? But because of God's grace, you know God. And if you want to know what God expects of you tonight, you're going to listen to what Paul wrote. 
He says, no man should go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. The word defraud there comes from a Greek word that means literally to oppress or to overreach in a matter. Because why? But because the Lord is the avenger of all such. The Lord is the judge. And as we also have forewarned you and testified. You know, I'm glad the Apostle Paul put that word warning there. See... I believe that the gospel, brothers and sisters, is a precious gift to God's people. Not only to guide their lives, but also to warn them. Not only to tell them about the good things, but to warn them about the bad things. And if we're faithful to preach the word, we're going to have both in the house of God. For God hath not called us unto uncleanliness but unto holiness. Now, I want you to underline the word called there. See, we believe in the effectual call of God. We believe in the effectual call of the Spirit in regeneration, but we also believe in the effectual nature of the calling of the gospel to those whose hearts have been opened to receive it. Paul uses that terminology. God has not called us to. Somebody says, well, if I believed in grace, I, I, I'd tell you what. I'd just, I'd just go and sin all I could and enjoy every minute of it. Let me tell you something. That is not the call of the gospel. And that's not true grace. True grace does not lead us to more uncleanliness. True grace delivers us from uncleanliness unto the holy walk of Christian life. He therefore, verse 8, that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Brother Nathan made a mention of that a moment ago. You see, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what empowers us. Uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what enables us not only to love Christ, but to obey him. Remember what Jesus said, if you really love me, oh, do you love me? Do you, do you love me, children? Do, do you love me? Jesus said, do you love me? If you love me, keep my commandments. That's how I show I love Jesus Christ more than myself. And sometimes that's not the easiest thing to do, is it? Thank God for grace. Not only did he say for us to walk in holiness, brothers and sisters, but he said, I want you to walk in love. In verses 9 and 10, I want you to walk in love. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. In other words, he says, you've got this down good. You're doing something really, really right. Remember, the only condemnation that the church at Ephesus had in Revelation chapter 2, the only mark against that church is that they left their first love. I wonder if anybody here tonight has left their first love. The Apostle Paul said, you're, you're still in your first love. You're doing it right. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Love one another, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, and 1 John chapter 4, verse, verses 8 and 9. 
in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, for those of you taking notes. These are just references we could go to at any point. Because the greatest strength, and you're, you know this, many of you, the greatest strength that we have in the church is people coming in our assembly and experiencing Christian love. Paul says you've got it you've got that down and I'm I'm thankful for that that you have love one to another remember what Jesus taught us in uh, uh, the 13th chapter of John when he said by this shall all uh, when he said by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another in verse 10, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren. I, I love this. Uh, you do it to all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. That's the whole state. It's like saying, uh, Providence Church, you've got this down good, and not only do you have it uh, down for yourselves, you've got it down for all the Christians in the state of Mississippi. Isn't that amazing? And not only in the state of Mississippi, but also those believers over there in Nicaragua. And those believers over there in Africa. He says, this is good. This is good. Because it's godly. It's building your walk. Not only in holiness, but your walk in love. They know you. They know of your love. Watch what he says. And we beseech you. There's that word again. Beg, earnestly entreat, that ye increase more and more. I don't want you to diminish. I want you to increase. I don't want you to be satisfied with where you are now. I want you to always be pressing into the kingdom of Christ. Isn't that a good, great part of this study? The third thing, he says, I want you to walk honestly. Verses 11 and 12, and that ye study to be quiet. That means you're not a troublemaker. That means you're you're not instigating trouble or division. You, You study to be quiet and to do your own business. That that's a that's a nice way of saying mind your own business. And to work with your own hands. You're not dependent on others for your living or how to provide for your family. Don't, don't, do, th- don't do that. Now, that's an unusual message today in this day of entitlement, isn't it? But let me speak to you fathers. Let me speak to you men here tonight. I want you to understand that according to the word of God, it's your responsibility to provide for your family, not the government's. And by the way, not the church. Now, when there's a need, when there's a a need that arises in the church, that's a different matter. If a man breaks his leg, if a man is incapable of providing for his family, I think the, the church needs to step up and help that individual. But somebody that's lazy and don't want to work, in the next letter, he says those that do not work should not eat. Now, that's pretty graphic isn't it 
I'm just saying. He says, you need to do this. If you want to uh, enhance your Christian walk, not, not only in holiness and, and not only in love, but also in honesty. You be honest with yourself. Are you um, lazy? Are you slothful? Are, are you not taking advantage of the opportunities that God actually brings uh, to your life to earn a living for your family? Or are you just kind of uh, hoboing? Verse 12, that ye may walk honestly. I want you to be honest with God. I want you to be honest with men. And importantly, I want you to be honest with yourself. That ye may honestly uh, walk toward them that are without. Now he says, when them that are without, he's talking about those outside the church. Those in the community. Those that you come into contact day by day. He's talking about Christians being a positive influence in a negative world. Colossians chapter 3 verses 22 through 25 and Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 are references. He says, I want you to walk transparently before men. When people come around you, they know that you are a follower of the Lamb. By your conversation, by your actions, by your words. And the fourth point, which is the best tonight, to my mind, he's calling upon us to walk in hope. The Christian hope. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, verse 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now, the word sleep there, death, is described in the New Testament sometimes as a sleep in the night. Did you know that the word cemetery, you, you, you know what cemetery is. Do, do you know that the word cemetery actually comes to us from a Latin word that means sleeping place? Did you know that? Death is described like a sleep in the night. Philippians 1 and 2 Corinthians 5. Um, but it's not the sleep of the, of the soul. It's the sleep of the body. The soul goes back to God which gave it. But the body that we lay in the tomb, that we lay in the ground, that, that, that body is like a seed planted, uh, according to the language of 1 Corinthians 15, one day will come forward. We'll, one day will be glorified. And we can't explain, you know, there's no way we can explain that. We, we can't expound upon it except to say what the Scripture says about the resurrection, about the resurrection of these bodies. It, it, we, we just rejoice in it. I, I know when our loved ones die, it breaks our heart. We've all been there. We've all been at those gravesides. And we can't help but cry. Because someone we loved is no longer going to be with us. But we do not bury them as those that have no hope. 
as those that don't expect to see them again. In 1 John chapter 3, I, I love that. Behold what manner of love is it that the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be made like him. And whoever has this hope in him purifies himself. In other words, living a life based upon that eternal perspective. That's what we're called to as Christians. We've got something that's far better than this wicked old world. We've got something better, brothers and sisters, awaiting us. These individuals, these believers lived in the certain expectation and confident anticipation of Christ's imminent return. He says for, listen to this. He, 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 he's, uh, it, 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 and this is 1 Jeff 2, 3 right here. I, I want to give you something here. It, it, it appears to me that there were some of those believers in Thessalonica that were concerned about the believers that died before Christ came again. What, what they're saying is, Paul, you know my Christian mama and daddy? Or my Christian brother or sister, they died and Jesus hadn't come yet. Are they going to miss out on his coming? That's what it appears to me is going on in this section of the letter. And the Apostle Paul is going to point out the fact that they're not going to miss a thing. <laughs> Hallelujah. They're not going to miss a thing. In verse 15, he says, uh, I love that. Oh, no, 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 no. Verse 14. For if we live, believe that Jesus died and rose again, which we do, even so them also which sleep in Jesus. That's the believer that has died. Will God bring with him? You need to underscore that in your Bible, brothers and sisters. Because we don't believe that when a man dies, he's dead all over like the old dog Rover. Never gets up. Never has an existence beyond the realm of time. We don't believe that. The Bible teaches us that when we die, when our, when we, uh, when our spirit leaves this body, it's in the presence of the Lord. Immediately. To be absent from the body is to be... Uh, to be absent from the body is to... Be alive in the Lord. For this we say, verse 15, We say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. <laughs> Isn't that marvelous? <laughs> They're not going to miss, uh, miss a thing. Uh, why, Paul? I'll tell you why. Verse 16, for the Lord himself. Now, brothers and sisters, that, that's powerful. That's powerful. Let it sink in. That's powerful. The Lord himself. He could send angels. I believe angels are coming with him, but he could send them. He could send old Gabriel and Michael or, or one of the other archangels to do this job, but uh, he's not going to leave that up to angels. He's not going to delegate that responsibility to anybody. He's, the Lord himself is going to come. Hallelujah. And he shall descend from heaven. Why shall he descend from heaven, children? Because that's where he is today. I want you to understand this. 
Jesus is alive today, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and one day the Father is going to say, Son, it's time. It's time for you to go get the bride. It's time for you to go get the redeemed. It's time for you to put an end to this suffering and an end to these struggles and bring my people home. It's time. He will come. He's going to come with a, a shout. <laughs> I believe I believe that. I believe that literally. I believe there's going to be a lot of shouting going on in that day. I'll tell you what, sometimes I feel like shouting right now. Mm. With the voice of the archangel, listen to him. With the trump of God. Oh, hallelujah. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Isn't that marvelous? They're not going to miss a thing. They're going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain. You know, they believed, as we do, that Christ could come at any time. Christ could come at any moment. Christ could come before this service is concluded. And it's not going to be without the knowledge and participation of all the elect in all the world. Isn't that marvelous? Uh, to put it in uh, modern day vernacular, that blows my mind. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, with all the family of God. You see, it's a reunion. In the clouds to meet the Lord, to meet Him. And that, that's a that's a particular word for meet. It means to physically be in the presence of another. It's, it's, it's not hearsay. It, it's not based on faith that one day this will happen. It's based on the reality of who Christ is. We're going to physically see the one that died for our sin. Somebody says, well, Brother Jeff, I believe that this fellow over here this fellow over here is Jesus Christ. He's, he's Jesus Christ in the flesh. Well, show me his hands, brother. Show me his feet. Does he have the nail prints there? Show it to me. Because I'm not going to believe that anybody is Jesus Christ without it. Mm. Hallelujah. Meet the Lord, the real Lord, in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Do you like that? Hey, hey, does that make you, does that lift your spirits a little bit? Are you heavy laden? Have you been sick? Have you, have you had some sorrows? Have you had some struggles tonight? Have you brought your burdens and your burdened heart into the house of God tonight? Well, listen to this, child of God. There's good news for you. There's good news that one day we'll Rise and be with the Lord, meet the, with the Lord in the air, and there shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, brethren, comfort ye one another with these words. Oh, my beloved brethren, listen carefully. The heavenly reality of the earthly faith and hope that we now enjoy is the greatest encouragement we'll ever know. It'll, it'll put iron in your blood. 
Yeah, I believe I can go one step farther on. I believe I can meet one more challenge. I, I, I believe I can handle one more valley that I must pass through. Because I know at the end of the way, my Savior is going to be there. At the end of the way, that eternal life that was purchased for me upon the tree of the cross so long ago will be eternally mine. And once and for all, I love what the Apostle Peter said in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath begotten us again unto a living, a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. Hallelujah. Oh, friends, lift up your eyes tonight. For your redemption draws nigh. Oh, it's a call. It's a call to walk. To walk in holiness. To walk in love. To walk in honesty. And to walk in the brilliant hope of Jesus Christ. Thank you.